thanks everyone for joining us. This is again, the spoiler free panel. So what we mean by that is we are going to go in depth about this episode and possibly the previous episodes that we just saw, but we're not going to be referencing the wider Tolkien canon. Um, these folks have little to no knowledge of the wider Tolkien lore. So they're coming to it with fresh eyes. And I'm going to introduce my panelists right now, my wonderful team here. So first we have John from the wonderful Wad Up YouTube channel. They Hi, talk folks. about Wheel of Time. Welcome, John. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, next up, we have the lovely Trisha Arand. She is from Beyond the Screenplay, a really excellent um, podcast that reviews uh, film. Welcome. Thank you. It's very good to be here. Excellent. And last but not least, we have Lottie, who guest hosts and co-hosts on the uh, be on the um, Unexpected podcast, an excellent Lord of the Rings Tolkien podcast. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So you guys, we're just going to jump right in and I'm going to go around and ask you for your one word impression of episode three. So we're going to start with you, John, one word, and then talk a little bit about this episode. Oh, you're going to put me on the spot and go first, of course. Um, one word, I'm going to say pretty. It, it, it's not a $5 word, but the episode was very pretty. It was visually stunning. And as far as I was concerned, there were a few hiccups here and there with how some of the CG went, in my opinion. But I guess mm -hmm. we can get into that later on. But I did really enjoy the episode. And I thought it was uh, just as, if not better, looking than the first two. Yes, I agree. Visuals were right on point. Um, Lottie, we'll go to you. Um, is it okay if I say my word and then elaborate a little bit on it? Oh, please do. Yes, please do. Okay. So the buzzword for this episode for me was searching. Mm. Um, I actually wanted to say finding your way, but it's not really one word. So um, <laughs> I feel like Galadriel, she's searching for information. And then we have Hellbrand, um searching for peas. Uh, the captured elves, they're searching for a way out. And then we have the Harfoots, um, especially Nori. She's searching also for her way and kind of like the balance to um, support her family, but at the same time to follow her heart and her gut feeling and figuring out who this stranger is. Um, and then also Sildor and his sister, uh, they're searching for their own paths and figuring out who they are. So, yeah. I love that word. Yeah, I felt the people in the fan community are saying this was the most Tolkienian episode for them. So some of these okay. broader themes like searching, seeking, um, and tied with nature and tied with the struggle of light and dark were very front and center in this episode, which is what I really liked about it. Um, so thanks for that. And Trisha, we'll go to you. Yeah, uh, sort of in the vein of what John chose for his word. Um, I'm going to go with expensive. Good Lord, this show is expensive. <laughs> oh, my God. I Most mean, expensive like, show ever made. Mm -hmm. I know it is. And you can see every penny. I mean, like, I just looking at Numenor, I was like, holy crap. Mm -hmm. it, it, I, It's astounding. Um, it, it's fascinating. I, I love that of all the fandoms in or all the... Yeah, I guess fandoms or, or sort of fantasy realms and all the whole world that they threw the money at this um, because it's one that I think has the potential to be really special. Mm. And so I love seeing the world so richly rendered uh, here. And I think it's it's deserving of that. I I don't know the Tolkien lore, but I know there's a lot of it. Mm -hmm. um, and that his vision was very complete. And so it's nice to see somebody 
um, bringing that passion and that completeness of vision to this show as well. Um, it is a little dizzying to think about the amount of money <laughs> each one of these episodes cost. Uh, but we don't have to spend too much time on the uh, meta production <laughs> aspects of what we just watched. Right. Yeah, true. I mean, Numenor, something special about that city was that they really built that set. It's a, it's, it's a real set. And wow. um, the, the detail that you see, there are like seashells in the wall that are real seashells, you know, sort of as a mural and things like that that are just visually quite unbelievable. But I think all of that care contributes for me to the realism of the show, you know, even though it's fantastical. Yeah. I wonder if, you know, you mentioned that people find this to be like the most Tolkien-esque episode so far. And mm -hmm. I wonder if it's because of all of the attention to detail in the production design. Um, you know, this isn't the volume, like where they shot the Mandalorian, where it's all CG. Um, mm -hmm. There's there is texture to this world, and and not that there isn't CG as well. Very very expensive, good looking CG most of the time, uh, but there's there's a tactile nature to the world that makes it feel like lived in and built out beyond the edges of the frame. Absolutely, um, and you mentioned you know not too much CG. Something I was thrilled with, and a lot of people were thrilled with, and we'll just get right into it. Were the orcs of this episode because mm -hmm. those are real yes. actors. Those are real actors, yep. right? And Peter Jackson did the same thing. He used real actors with just a lot of um, masks and face paint. Um, and with that, we'll go right to Arondir's plot line. So we we enter this episode and Ron Deere's been captured by these orcs. He wakes up, he's disoriented. Um, I'm curious to hear your thoughts about his particular storyline. John, we'll start with you. His storyline ties for my favorite storyline between them and the Harfoots, I, I guess is the best way to put it. They're, they're my two favorites for it. And there was, in my opinion, a lot of really, really great things about this. Um, and, and it's funny that you mentioned that a lot of the, the the fans of the Tolkien, I guess you can call it a metaverse now, since there's so much stuff, um, thought that this was the most Tolkien-esque episode because I thought this was, was the episode when they actually hit their stride and started telling the story. I mean, the first two were setup episodes, they're a little slow, but this one actually started telling the story. And I loved the orcs. I'm not going to lie, I was really jealous. <laughs> jealous like um, you wanted to be an orc? <laughs> Like no, uh, I, I cover a lot of Wheel of Time stuff. And oh. initially, initially they, they did that for the Wheel of Time show. So there was a oh. lot of uh, people in prosthetics. They created over 40 different unique, different creatures. Um, and then they had to go to CG later on. So I'm really, really hoping that they keep with actors and prosthetics and masks and makeup because I like practical effects way better. I'm a child of the 80s. I like the Abyss, Alien, um, Predator. Uh, all of the older movies that where they they had to build the sets, they had to do all those things. I enjoyed all of that. Now, saying that, there was one very jarring moment during this particular storyline that brought me out of it, and I actually I paused the show and I was just like, mm -hmm. <laughs> and that was the work. Oh, the not work. not well done at all. Yeah. Um, and and I think it was because everything else looked so nice and so real. Now I think if it was any in any other show or in any other place, I would be like, yeah, okay, that's fair. That 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 that's done well. But compared to everything else, it was it was pretty bad. It looked like I went to Spirit Halloween and saw something on the wall. That's that's it, it didn't move naturally. I didn't like it. But I really enjoyed 
um, where the story ended off and, and, and how they incorporated the nature of the elves and stuff. I, I liked that whole storyline. That was the only part of it that I didn't enjoy. Yeah, in thinking how they would actually make a warg look more realistic, it's it's. I'm not sure how they would go about doing that. Although people, I, really I would have been like... happier with American Werewolf in London, like '70s style, <laughs> like animatron. I would have been happier with that than what they did. Honestly, <laughs> anyone else had a problem with the warg? It seems like Trisha, you were really nodding along. Like, yeah, that was. I mean, my issue with the warg. I didn't love how it looked. Um, I'm not an expert on CG or anything like that. Uh, I do think it's hard to make a creature like that look grounded uh, as it interacts with an environment that is otherwise essentially real. Um, my issue with the fight with the warg was just how gory it was. And it seemed, it, it really surprised me. It's like people getting their stomachs ripped out didn't feel like the show I'd been watching up until this point. Mm -hmm. um, and we can get back to uh, what happened in Numenor and the broken wrist, which I didn't need either. Um, I don't, I'm not going to say it's, it feels like beyond the bounds of Lord of the Rings, generally speaking, but it reminded me a little of the, I hate to have to say this, the extended version of the Hobbit movies, uh, Battle of the Five Armies, where um, all of the, are those wargs also? Um, I so. Anyway, I, I think so, but they People are just getting ripped apart left and right in that movie. And it just looks like everyone's made of jam. There's just like blood flying. There's just like jam, like blood flying everywhere. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, it, it's, it's really surprising when you, you have these like outbursts of violence that don't necessarily, that feel more graphic than they need to be to tell a story. I think I would have been happier if they went back to what they did in episode two, where it was all suggestions. Yeah, I definitely it think would have so. been creepier scarier more compelling in my opinion too yeah no, yeah i certainly think they're pushing the envelope in terms of goring and um violence more than this fandom is used to right if it were game of thrones it would be right. like blood and guts and this would have been like tame but i i certainly think that they're they're kind of introducing us to more and more slowly but surely more and more of this like graphic bloodier uh more violent world and and i think some people are perturbed by that um i personally don't think it was too overboard but you know we'll see because there's a lot of the season left and there's a lot of future seasons so yeah uh, i just i know that that's trendy to make mm. things like edgier and more violent and i if it serves the story i think that's great I just don't want to see it happen just because it's trendy. Yeah. And I think they did use some subtlety, right? Like the moment when his throat is slit by the orc, the oh, yeah. throat is slit. They didn't actually show a lot of that. They, they cut away just as the skin was opening, which I actually think was artfully done, mm -hmm. right? They panned the camera away and then he fell to the ground. Um, there wasn't just spurts of blood everywhere so that that moment really worked for me and i thought it was a really like touching heartbreaking moment um when he catches his friend and you just feel that pain um and the acting there man it was it was spot on for me it was good the, the only the only thing i'm worried about going forward is amazon is very prone to the explosions per minute trope they they think unless something's blowing up or something's graphic or shocking it's not going to interest people same reason they don't like going over eight episodes per season. They don't like going over 55 minutes per episode. So normally it's because that's their data suggests that people stop paying attention. So 
character driven is best i think for fantasy it always has been and i think it always will be uh, and i think a lot of the execs in that world that aren't fantasy fans are slowly getting the picture i hope but i think it's gonna take a little longer Lottie, um, I'm curious to hear from you because you have just a little bit of knowledge of Tolkien. If the moment where Ishmael Cruz Cordova is interacting with the tree in the storyline with yeah. the, not wanting to cut the tree down and seeing the destruction of nature, I'm, I'm curious to hear what your reaction was to that. Um, and if you appreciated it, didn't if it worked for you, if it didn't work for you. Oh, absolutely. I love how they make the elves. They're so close to nature. They don't want to they have been around for such a long time that they do see trees grow and see how long they stick around and it, that they're part of the earth. They're not just things, they're actually living things. And um, pretty symbolic, I thought, when, I don't know if I'm going too far at the end to, to the end, but Arondir grabbing a root from the tree, I think, to kill an orc, when he turns around to grab that, and I think it was part of the tree, so that was pretty symbolic that now he uses that part that they wanted to cut down um, to kill that orc. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was um, the whole sequence was really great where he's, you know, showing the respect for nature and almost apologizing. He is apologizing to the tree for having to to cut it down. Um, but when he lays eyes on sort of the waste of what's happened to the to the earth, what they've done, they've savaged the earth. That is such a purely like, Tolkienian moment. Um, and it I thought it was very impactful the way the slow pan happened um, and a really like thoughtful still moment um, to juxtapose with a lot of the action that we got in the whole episode. Um, so I felt like there was a good balance of like action and thoughtfulness tied into this. Um, so John, to your concern, I, I too hope they don't go too overboard with the action sequences yeah. um, and they keep finding that nice balance of contemplative moments with, yeah. tied with the action. Mm -hmm. um, well, I feel like we should get to the Numenorean storyline, which I felt like was the, the real meat and potatoes of this episode. So um, we'll, this time we'll start with you, Lottie. Uh, your thoughts on Galadriel arriving in Numenor, Halbrand in Numenor, meeting Queen Muriel for the first time. Yeah. Um, let's hear it. So um, we already mentioned it. Numenor looks so gorgeous. It's just this grand place that almost feels like, um, I think Helbrand says it even, it feels like paradise. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also a close, it's it's in between, right? Uh, it's in between Valinor and Middle-earth, an island in between. So we feel like this closeness to paradise almost. Um, I think that it's such a good job. And I was, because I didn't know where they were going really. So um, we follow Galadriel, how she uh, wakes up on that ship and then we see these uh, on top of the ship, the, the what's it called? The armor, armor or the, the uh, uniform they wear. It looks so beautiful. Mm -hmm. I think they, in general, in the show, they do such a good job at creating those contrasts. Even if it's uh, in uh, Lindor, where the elves are, and the, the, the blue and the golden yellow. And mm -hmm. the same here in Numenor, the um, gear that they wear is also this golden yellow and the blue and it just pops it it's so good it looks so good and then you get all this mystery um yeah why we don't know why are the elves not welcome there why do they hate on galadriel so much and you um you asked the favorite or storyline that stuck out to me the most i would have said Halbrand, because it's so 
I get so much, so many questions in my head when I watch his story arc or the storyline in this episode, because there's he's like in search of that peace, but then at the same time we see how he gets um, when triggered almost when he um, he tries to be nice to that to those people uh, in the pub, but then they trigger him and we see an outburst of rage and and violence again of him and um one thing about Halbrand, real quick i don't know if that's any hint or anything at all that makes sense but my native language is actually actually german and if you take his name apart there's two components to it it's hal and brand in german and those both have meanings hal is like an echo and brand is like a big fire so i have no <gasps> idea if that makes any I like sense <laughs> But it's cool. uh, because names are so significant in, in the yeah. verse and, and languages. Absolutely. So that's something I noticed that his name is is very, um so sounds very German-esque or ger ger Germanic. I don't know. Yeah. And I'm certain it will have significance and I'm not going to say anything else. Okay. Because I'm. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he was definitely a character. I, I, I love to follow his story and his weirdness. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed him. He's a wily one. For sure. He's a little confusing. Um, uh, we'll go to Trisha. Thoughts on Numenor, Halbrand, all of it. Yeah, lots of thoughts. Um, Halbrand, I really like. He's His character is, feels a little hard to pin down for me mm -hmm. in a way that I think is probably deliberate, mm -hmm. but does make it um, a little bit hard to get to like know what to expect from him in any given scene. Mm -hmm. Um because the way that we met him, he was kind of like roguish, maybe not very trustworthy, right? He leaves behind his companions to die on the raft. Uh, Shady boots. Yeah, it's a little Han Solo-y. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I was expecting a little bit more of that energy from him. But he all he like weirdly stepped into sort of a role of diplomacy in this episode where he was like well let us stay for three days and kind of stepped in to negotiate and um a surprising moment there a very surprising moment and you know again if you would put somebody like han solo in that same room he would have taken charge immediately right and just been like let me do the talking i've got this i've got this and like told galadriel to to like you know let him kind of like Take a seat. smooth everything over and of course she wouldn't have but but it's funny that he was at first on the back foot and then step forward into the democracy role and then like sneakily pickpocketed that knife. And, you know, he kind of has these interesting switches. The same thing with the, um, in the scene where he was talking to the Smiths or whoever they are, the iron workers mm -hmm. at first, he's deliberately antagonistic toward them. And it's like, well, what's your goal there, Halbrand? And then he switches and, you know, buys them drinks and then tries to pickpocket. And so he's, he is shifty. Mm, and so I, that's the right word. I'm not sure, you know, the, the, it feels like the show is trying to tell me he's really honorable at heart and he really is the king. I have questions about that. Uh, but I'm not sure that, I'm not even sure that the show really believes that or that the actor really believes that, if that makes sense. <laughs> yes, there's a definite tension within his character that we're seeing. Yeah. And I'm I, like, I don't know if the show knows how it wants me to feel because I don't know how I feel. If, mm. Yeah, I'll put it that way. Conflicted, perhaps. Indeed. 
John, we'll go to you. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about Hallbrand. I really like his character now. I, I didn't like him at the end of the second episode, and I also hated the scenes with him and Gladriel at the end of the second episode. I did did not enjoy them. They didn't feel natural. They felt like they had no chemistry, and it wasn't great. Bind yourself to me didn't work for you? <laughs> not really, no. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they really redeemed themselves. Uh, third episode, the, their scenes together were really good. Hallbrand's scenes by himself were really good. Galadriel's scenes by herself were really good. Mm. Hallbrand sort of seems like to me, if I had to use uh, any other fantasy property, like the the um, the second son who didn't think he would ever have to take over the throne and was all of a sudden thrust into responsibility, but didn't want it and ran away. That's what he seems like to me. He's sort of like scoundrelly and, and he has all these different things, but there's also the commanding presence about him. Like you folks said, like, I don't know what he is. I don't know if he's the King or maybe one of the Royal family of the Southlands. I have no idea how that works, but I liked the way his character was. Um, the fight, the fight was really good. Uh, yeah. The breaking of the wrist was a little, little jarring, a little out of tone with the rest of the storyline and what happened there. Um, so I could have, like you folks said earlier, I, I could have done without that. Um, but Numenor itself, gorgeous, beautiful. I had no issues with anything here. I thought everything was great except for the horse ride. Uh, and <laughs> slow mo. <laughs> and that's and that's why it was. I felt like I was watching the never ending story. If that makes any sense, it was. <laughs> this director was, <laughs> loves slow mo. I was, I was like going through and marking down all the slow motion. Yeah. Um, and I mean, overall, it was, it was. I liked the emotion that Gladriel showed. I liked that she was happy. I liked all of that. I didn't like the way they conveyed it. It just felt really cheesy, and that that it was. It did linger a long point. time on her face. A long. It did. Time it was. Face. It was a little weird. It was a little weird. Yeah. It was a little well, much. I'm really curious why it wasn't set up. Like, so if horses are extra special to Galadriel, I get that there, there's an elf and horse thing, I guess, or I'm inferring that. Um, but if for some reason they're really, really special to Galadriel, I feel like we should have known that earlier. We could have yeah. maybe seen that in the first episode, right? Instead yeah. of like the childhood bully scene. We could, I totally agree with you. Yes. We should have seen her maybe connecting with horses in that way or some insight into her character beyond her just getting like bullied by right. a bunch of elvish kids, which that was like my least favorite scene so far. Um did not yeah, work for me. I at have, all. yeah, I have a lot of Galadriel thoughts, and maybe we can come back to them. Because let's I let's go to Galadriel. Now. Okay, let's go to Galadriel and <laughs> Numenor in particular. But yeah, sure. So I woke up at two in the morning last night, and I started thinking about Galadriel, and <laughs> it was, happens to me all the time. <laughs> thank you. Um, <laughs> you know, there is a problem that I have with the way the character is written. And when we talk, okay, so here's what it is. When we talk in screenwriting that protagonists in particular, not so much secondary characters or tertiary characters, protagonists need to have a flaw. Mm -hmm. And the thing about that is the flaw has to be something that causes negative consequences in the life of the character that they care about. Um, so take something like Captain America. Um, his, his flaw, it's also one of his strengths is that he believes in complete self-sacrifice for a cause. Sorry, spoilers for the character arc of Captain America. It's been um, out a long time. Thank you. <laughs> uh, anyway, but his, he believes in complete self-sacrifice for a cause. 
the problem with that is at the end of the first movie, he sacrifices himself for a cause and it costs him something that he really cares about. It costs him the relationship with a person he cares about and it costs him like 50 years of time and like disconnection from his entire life and society. And that bothers him personally. It causes conflict. He starts to question whether or not his way of being in the world is right or completely good. Um, this is the same with abs like virtually any protagonist that has an arc that you could name. Um, so they have a strength usually pushed to the point of being a flaw. And most of the time they may not care about the consequences, but something happens and they stop and they go, hang on. I actually don't like this consequence of, of my, of my flaw. Um, and that is the first bump. It usually happens in the first act of a movie. And it's the first bump that, that causes them to want to change or to start to question uh, who they are. Now, it usually they usually plow on and, and go ahead with their flaw anyway into the second act and they, sometimes even into the third act or they continue to wrestle with it. But it, it has to have negative consequences that they then, that really bother them. My problem with Galadriel is, so she's stubborn, she's fiery, she's aggressive. All of those things are fine. They're her strengths, um, but they are and can be a flaw. But so far, they haven't cost her anything that she cares about. They do have consequences, right? Like, it's she gets disbanded, her company gets mutinies essentially, and then gets disbanded. And then she almost gets sent home to uh, Valinor, which she decides not to do. It brings her into constant conflict with every single person around her, but she doesn't care about that. <laughs> it doesn't bother her actually at all that any of that happens. And so I don't see her being nudged toward an eventual change. I just continue to see her plowing ahead. Um, and that concerns me because no matter which way you slice up the acts of a, an eight part series, we're definitely through the first act already. And I feel like we've should have, we should have had that bump already. If we're, if we are going to see a change from Galadriel. I, yeah, I tend to agree with you. I think that the showrunners needed to emphasize that her not going to Valinor should have been a bigger deal. And that should have definitely perturbed her. And I think we will see the consequences of that later. But it's, it's, it's making total sense. And I'm tracking with you that she does, she seems almost less dynamic to me. And I've said this also, yeah, because she is so single minded. And, um, and I have said, and nobody I feel like has agreed with me up until you <laughs> that I need to see more, more from her in terms of less, like not as much fire and fury, but more, um, contemplativeness or like some hint of the Galadriel that we get later. Yeah. We need some inner conflict from the character about yes. the way that she's going. Um, because that's the essence of a protagonist and it like i said it doesn't bother us like somebody like legolas from the original series mm -hmm. he's not the protagonist he's just over there somewhere we don't need a lot of soul searching from him or anything like right. that um but if the the series is setting her up to be our protagonist and setting her up to have these really strong characteristics but i just am wondering what is the what is the bump on that that's going to eventually so, cause her to change to want to change I I think I know when the bump's going to happen, and I don't like it. Ah, so go on. Amazon really, really, really likes cliffhangers, and I don't know why, and they're usually not good ones. <laughs> 
So my guess is we're going to see something happen with her in the very last episode, maybe even in the last scenes. And then they go like, until next time, you know what I mean? Like, and th that'll be the hook. And I don't like that at all because I don't like a hook being character growth. That makes any sense at all. I don't yeah, want it does. To, wait, to wait to see a, a character evolve a little bit. I'd like to see it during like a, a natural ebb and flow during the season. Um, again, I'm going to talk about Wheel of Time because I, I know that really well. They did that with the Wheel of Time with three or four things in the final episode that just didn't work at all. They were really bad. Um, part of it was due to, they had to rewrite everything last minute. And there was a whole lot of changes and things that went on, but the other part of it was there was a lot of pressure from the execs that we like cliffhangers. We want these to see these things happen. This is what will happen because it will keep people coming back for more because they don't, the execs didn't seem to understand their audience. Um, and I think my guess is, and I hope I'm wrong. I really do. Is that we'll see it in episode eight, maybe in the last 20 minutes or so. And I don't Boy. want that to happen. <laughs> I really don't, but I think we will. Well, I want to hear from Lottie because I know she's dying to say something. <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> um, I want to respond to what you said, Trisha, because it's so interesting to get those insights on screen, on the screen writing process and everything, um, and the thoughts you put behind it. But um, I'm just someone, I don't have any background knowledge in cinematography or, um, you know, like producing a movie or show at all. So I'm just the one who j just sits down and watches the show. And um, I like to rewatch shows because I'm also a person who sometimes I miss things like big things. So that's why I, I like to watch it a second time where I can see all the little details after the first impression. Um, and for me, I gotta say... For me, Galadriel works because for me, um, the that she gave up Valinor was enough of a, you know, flaw or of something that was important to her that she gave up because um, we learn about her. You know, Valinor is so. I mean, it meant it used to mean everything to her, and um, I think she is supposed to be someone who doesn't show a lot of emotions at this point because of the loss of her brother, because of her search that kind of led to nowhere and no one's trying to support her anymore. Everyone's just saying, oh, no, you know, it doesn't matter. It's been years and years. We don't believe there's anything around here anymore. Um, we're all safe. It's all peaceful. Um, and she, she almost like, it's almost like she shut down on, on, on those emotions and, and letting people in, and I feel like that's her her whole thing. Um, now that with Halbrand and the information, I feel like they, we get a little bit of excitement because this is what she's been searching for for so long. And the horse scene, by the way, also first time watching it, I, I just started laughing because it did, it did seem a little r ridiculous at first. But watching it a second time and, I, and thinking about why did they do that? Because this is really the first time we see her smile like that. And, and they wanted to put that emphasis on, you know, that's why they slowed it down. And maybe, yeah, you're right. Maybe the producer likes slow-mos, but um, <laughs> it, it does look a little bit funny. But <laughs> I actually, um, second time watching it, I did enjoy it because that's when we see her the first time. She does show a little bit of emotion and, and character. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that what you're, what you're getting at is that, why Galadriel does work and can work is that, again, her traits are bringing her into actual conflict with the world around her. Mm -hmm. And that is the stuff of drama. Mm -hmm. And so if if her quest for to kill Sauron 
is compelling to you and it's compelling to me too. Um, and so you're not, you're not like, Oh, I wonder what she's feeling about the fact that she didn't go to Valinor. Um, I think that that's like valid. It's a valid way to like watch the show. My brain's broken as a screenwriter because I am like, I'm craving this, this moment of introspection of if she's really sad that she made the choice not to go to Valinor, that might've been her last chance. Right. Or if she'd been more homesick for it all along where we had a scene where she's like, I'm dying to go back to this person or that person or that world or my horse that I loved so much in Valinor, whatever it is. Like, if, if we had that moment of like, this is a cost for her. And then a moment where we see her grieving it later. That um, would be way better. Yeah. It, we would have I been would, more sympathetic to her. Absolutely. Or even, even if they, they explain the importance of Valinor. I mean, yes. I know it's a place that it, here's a reward. It's a good thing. But what? what kind we don't of care enough it? about it? it. Right. Yeah. I'm it, not saying. Not, it, yeah. It's not, it's not just a weak storyline. It just could be stronger, I think. Yeah. I'm hoping that they go ahead go ahead I I just want to say I understand what you mean with we talked about how the we don't get any story before that horse scene her relationship with the horses and then I think Jen said it last week same thing with um oh I'm blacking out on the name here uh Rondier and Bronwyn yes thank you Rondier and Bronwyn same thing there um I do not actually like their storyline so far just because we don't have that connection to them it's it just felt like we kind of witnessed okay they have something going on but we don't have any backstory on that yeah didn't see bronwyn at all this episode so we're hoping next i'm sad about i wanted to see more of that yeah same um i am curious to to hear what you guys thought about muriel uh tar muriel queen muriel um the queen of numenor and the chancellor and that that storyline um, can we get thoughts on that? John, go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> I'm going to be completely <laughs> Okay, so honest it was confusing. Yeah, I was curious. It was, it, it, That's why it, it was a hesitating. It, yeah, so it, it was a little confusing. They, I, I get that they're in charge. I get that they don't like elves. I get that they used to like elves. I don't get how they got to where they're at. And at the end, when they went up to, I assume, was the actual king's chambers uh, to say that the elf is here. I assume there's some sort of prophecy involved. There's something going on there. I my, That's my guess. I really don't know. Um, I thought both the actress and the actor that, that that played them did a fantastic job. They, they played their roles really well. But it was pretty confusing because I, I didn't really understand their importance, if that makes any sense, and how they really fit. I mm. hope that's explained a bit later on, because I, I like that sort of thing. Um, or maybe I should have gone into the x-ray stuff on Amazon, and maybe that would have explained it to me. I don't know, because I didn't do that. No. <laughs> For the purposes oh. of this panel, <laughs> okay. I just want you to come in, like, if you're confused, say that, you know? Okay, yeah, because... no, I was I, I was confused about how they fit in. I liked, I liked it. Um, I just mm. hope it's explained a bit better, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, anyone else have that reaction? Oh yeah, totally. I agree with John. Um, I don't really know where they how they fit into all of that. But and I was um I still have questions about uh, why did they give that sword to Elendil? Uh right? What's the I thought yeah. first like are they supposed to kill someone? Are they supposed to assassinate? Yeah, I thought he was uh, gonna Galadriel go kill Gladriel. I'm like, well, right. Uh, she did. that didn't make <laughs> that didn't make sense. But uh 
shout out again to the costume designers. Her dress looks fabulous. Yes. Gorgeous. Yes. Gorgeous. I mean, yes. <laughs> yeah, she looks stunning. And they did great acting there. Um, but yeah, still, um, I think we're supposed to feel confused in, at this point. Yeah, I wish they... Um... I wish they had just told me in this episode what the deal is like, or even, or even what the fake deal is. Like, even if they say that they don't like elves for X, Y, and Z reason, but that's kind of bullshit. Give me at least that reason so that I can be like, okay, I think the issue is if Galadriel is going to navigate the situation that she's in, she and we kind of need to know what the smart play would be. So if they don't like elves because elves are haughty and ageless, which sure, maybe that's a valid reason not to like elves. That seems to be the problem that uh, the, the Durin had with Elrond, um, right? It's like, you, you don't care about my timeline. Um, I can't relate to you. If that's the issue or whatever the reason they claim it is, at least get the fake reason out in the open if there's like a real secret reason because of the prophecy that's also fine but i just need something in the here and now to hear to like make sense of anybody's motivation scene to see there's a little too much mystery in every story yeah i guess is the best way to put it they're like there's going to be five or six big reveals in Mm. the next couple episodes and i'm like i i'm not one for big reveals i yeah they're great but make one maybe two and make them count don't do like six. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like they don't like the elves will be a big reveal. Who Ed Adar? Adar? Did I say that right? Dar? Adar is Adar. The... We didn't even get to meet him. That's yeah. the name of the episode. Who we that, didn't meet yeah, him. Who that yeah. is? That, that's going to be another big reveal. Um, what What's going on with Bronwyn? What's going to be another big thing? What What happens um, after he's recaptured? Like there's so many cliffhangers and mysteries and big. Re- uh, it's it's is it losing like, you a little bit because there's yes. so many. Okay. Yes, it's it's almost like they're like, we need to do as many as possible because that's the only way people will come back next week. That's 100% not the reason I you go guys have, the show. You guys have no idea how hard it is for me to not put on my nerd glasses <laughs> and, and, and be like, well, I mean, the reason they don't like the elves. I've watched Lost <laughs> probably half a dozen times and there were a lot, of, there was a lot of shit, 26 episodes or more per season with a lot of that shit in it. And it's worked because it wasn't too much. This is still, it's just too much crammed into three episodes so far. I think. I think some people would disagree with you about the later seasons of Lost being too much. However, <laughs> I fundamentally agree that you do need to answer some questions. You can't yeah. keep raising questions. You got to answer a couple. And I felt like the scene where um, Galadriel and Halbrand are walking through the town, right? And they're getting all these stares from the humans. And she she gives some backstory there. She actually gives a lot of backstory there, but it was it was rushed and it felt to me very manufactured of like, guys, we need to give background. They need context. They need context quick. Yeah. Give some, but it wasn't enough. <laughs> she actually said she was, we're about to find out. So everyone's- I know. Okay, we're about to find out. Cool. But you didn't find out necessarily yeah, right. um, yeah. why the elves are hated. So I'm not going to say anything. I hope that I'm sure that they will get to it. Um, do I think they needed to get to it sooner? Yes, because there's another big, there's so much coming. Um, mm. And I definitely am a fan of the slow burn. And I wish there had been more of a slow burn and some context for some of these things. Uh, but then again, they do have a lot of seasons. So we'll see. Um, last thing in Numenor. What was revealed in this episode was that there was a map 
that the orcs are following a map, a Sauron's map, right? So the brand makes sense. And that big reveal I felt like was a was a focal point of the episode. So I'm curious to, to hear if that scene, what you guys thought of that scene. Um, and I'll start with you, Lottie. Um, I think the, the scene was okay. Uh, for me, it was just like, I wondered what's the new information here, really. Um, maybe I missed it, uh, but we get, okay, she she sees the sign is actually a map and that they were in the south, but didn't they know that before? And I mean, the big thing is she says it's worse than she thought. Well, did she think uh, he was only going to take over the south and then stop? Like, I, I don't really, I don't really understand yeah. what the big reveal is to her. Yeah, if that makes sense in okay. that scene. Mm-hmm. For for that, I didn't like the the, the the brand like Sauron's mark was a map. I I saw that and I was like, oh, really? Too obvious. <laughs> well, no, I was just I was just like, all right, I I guess. But here you have, um, I don't know how old Gladriel is, but she's old, and you have all the other elves who are real old who have seen maps. I mean, they've seen maps. They have probably lots of maps. How has not one of them put two and two together and went, oh, it looks like this little mountain range here. Oh, goodness. You know, it, it, I saw it and I was, I was like, uh, I thought it was cheap. I thought it was a really cheap way of doing that. I didn't like it. Um, and, and like Lottie just said, I don't really get what the big thing was to her. Like, why, why didn't she believe that it was, how is it going to be worse? What does that mean? Like, does that mean that, um, does this particular area of of the world have something special that 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 gives them more power that that can cause them to do other things i have no idea like it was confusing and and i don't know i that part there not that it was terrible but i didn't like the brand being a map and i didn't think it was explained well enough but again i have no basis in lore whatsoever so maybe it's that you could be thinking well you're just an idiot but (laughs) There's a lot of people like me watching the show going, I don't know. Absolutely. Watch. There's so many new people who are coming to it with no context whatsoever. And there's, you know, the show has some splaining to do. Um, so I think what they were trying to get at was, oh, there's a plan. Sauron has a plan that's been set in motion. And this proves my point that he's not extinct and they're they're organizing, okay. they're gathering, right? Um, but I think that wasn't necessarily crystal clear from this big uh, reveal and so the scene didn't didn't quite trigger the the viewer to um to be more threatened by what she's finding out yeah two things thing number one is the problem with the map being the brand being a map is that it points galadriel to the same region she thought sauron was in anyway um yeah. no. and yeah. so <laughs> if if she hadn't gotten that info from halbrand Right, like if if Halbrand had had another reason for being on his ship um, and being out in the water, like say for example, he was trying to get away from the responsibility of being a king, um, and not orcs, then it wouldn't have mattered to her. And we didn't, you know, she has she's not any closer to getting back to Middle Earth or the Southlands than she was in the last episode. So if she wasn't looking at the Southlands already, then this would be a huge piece of information for her to receive. Uh, the problem is she already was planning to go there. So if that's where Sauron's hiding, then we kind of already knew that fact. Thing two is I am desperate to know what the search engine is or like how the elf 
card catalog system works she like gave the guy a picture <laughs> yes. i was just like oh my god she just gave him the picture and he came back in 20 yeah, seconds like, and he got all the records like here's the thing take the thing yeah like is there a computer somewhere i just how did she he find it so fast uh that was my other main question coming out of that scene yeah that moment also didn't work for me where it was like <laughs> he's the google of hells I, yeah, he really seemed to be yeah. i was like also they just had this old guy shuffle in and like give her the information in 10 seconds i was like i would have questions for that guy how did you find this so quick did you just know it like you seem magical sir i don't know right yeah there was a lot of like there are some loosey goosey elements, I thought, in that scene. Um, I think they're trying. Yeah. They're obviously yeah. trying to push the plot forward, push it forward. Okay, now she really needs to get back to Middle Earth. Like it's go time, um, right? And and I think that's what they were trying to um, accomplish. Just yeah, I could just hear one of the writers in the writer's room bringing this exact thing up and being like, I'm sorry, what? So it's just the guy's going to just bring it? And some the showrunner probably going like, no, no, no. Don't How else do you want to do it? We have to get through this. <laughs> I could talk to you guys. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, John. I was going to say my, my biggest complaint about the series so far um, is the same complaint I had for The Wheel of Time. Uh, I, I know everything there is to know about The Wheel of Time. I've read the series over 70 times. And when I watched the show, everything made a lot of sense to me. But I watched it with my wife. My wife has never read the books, didn't know much about them. And I spent more time explaining things to her than we did watching the show because it didn't make none of it made any sense to her. And when I went into Lord of the Rings, it's the same thing. I'm I'm pausing and I'm like, well, I'm not going to Google this, but I really want to because they're not explaining anything properly for a new fan. I'm hoping that eventually they do, but we're already three episodes deep. And I know for a lot of Tolkien fans or people who know the lore, it's probably great. Like, oh, I know that. I know this. This is great. Easter egg. Good, good thing. But that's not the bulk of the viewers, unfortunately. So... And I do want to say that in spite of all of our complaining, I am having a good time watching the show. Yeah. And I the Harfoots, the oh, Harfoots so are really working for me. Let's quickly talk about yeah, that storyline. We do wonderful. have to hand it over to panel two very momentarily. But let's talk about the Hobbits' impressions on the Harfoots this episode and that story. That's, that's all you're getting for me. I'm super happy. I mean, the, my complaints about Galadriel, I don't have for Nori. Like, she is, she has a flaw. She's curious. She, you know, walks off path. She, like, you know, doesn't feel like she fits in with the Harfoots. But it costs her relationship with her parents and potentially, potentially with the rest of her life. tribe. Yeah, and, and that means something to her. She feels regret and concern about that and, and inner Poppy. conflict mm -hmm. about it. Yeah, and Poppy, and it's wonderful. And whoever whoever plays Nori, I don't know the actress's name, but she is, in my opinion, the what a best actor, actress, best actress in the show. Burn on, hands down. I would hand her every award I possibly could. She is fantastic. Um, I love the scene when um, the stranger comes out and they all get to see him and they all hide. And it's the same we got in the, yeah. I think, first or second episode, how well, even if the shot is directly at them, you can't see the Harfoots anymore. Like the, again, costumes are so good. Um, and even uh, what's the leader's name? I forget um, his thing in the hair, like the, 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 the grass or straws or whatever. And we only see his eye. Like that was brilliant to me. Yeah. 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 How they did that. Not, not enough nice things to say about those particular scenes. <laughs> I would just watch a show about the Harfoots and no one else. And I'd be happy. Same, same. 
I need a book of Harfoot idioms. I love all of their, like, yeah. there are some Elvish idioms too that are like, okay, those are creative. But the, the Harfoot idioms are so evocative and feel like, oh, the Dwarvish idioms are really good too. But I really love the Harfoot idioms and the way that their dialogue is written. The only thing, like, did it feel cruel to anyone else that they would just leave the brand Brandyfoots behind just because they're slow and injured and stuff? They would just nope. say, okay, you're on your own. I'll be like, see you later. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit. Ne needs the many outweigh the needs the few. I get it. I understand. They're caravan people and they can't. Yeah. They, they can't because it would put everyone at risk. I get it. Didn't like it. Okay. Made me sad. But okay. I get yeah. It. <laughs> I mean, I thought that the scene where they were remembering those left behind kind of clarified for me that they really only leave behind people that they absolutely cannot, like, save and bring with right. them, right? Like, a lot of the, it's clear that those people, they were eaten by wolves or they were caught in an avalanche or they were, um, and they died. Hit by bees. Right, <laughs> bees. Um, uh, but it, it made me feel like they really wouldn't, like, abandon the Brandyfoots to actual death. But then the the way that her family was talking about it, it did seem very dire. Um, they they gave them a the shot, caravan. but it was a slim shot. Right. Yeah. And by being the last one in the uh, um, you know, in the last place, they are almost like an outcast now. The, fam right. the whole family are mm -hmm. almost like outcasts. Oh man, I'm trying to follow the chat, and I can't. It's there's a lot going on over there. There was a lot going on in there. Hello, everybody. But, sorry, but sorry, I did... offended anybody. <laughs> It's okay. They did give us the name of the actress who plays uh, Nori, though, uh, because what a delight is she is. Markella Cavanaugh. Markella, she's amazing. Absolutely yeah, phenomenal. Agree. Uh, thank you, guys. I want to thank you all for your wonderful insights. Um, that was a lot of fun. I love hearing about the show through, you know, your perspective. So I appreciate it, and I can't wait to continue on this journey with you all. Um, so. Thanks to the newbie panel. We're going to go to our lore panel now, our, our expert panel, um, but we're going to have a few announcements before we do that. So right. goodbye to Thanks the newbie. So See you next week. Thank you. See you next Thank week. You.